Here it is, the 70th and final episode of the History of Skipton podcast with me, Ian Lockwood, author of the book, The History of Skipton. For all those who have been listening from the start, well, thank you for your loyalty and indeed your stamina. The episodes regularly attract around 500 listeners, but only about half of them are from the UK. The United States and Canada and the main source of listeners from overseas. But I mustn't forget my small but consistent group in Serbia. If you are listening from far away, then perhaps you have some sort of connection to Skipton, and I'm pleased to have rekindled those thoughts. But if you haven't any Skipton links, then I hope my podcasts have inspired you to visit the town. It really is a superb place in the middle of a beautiful area, so come and enjoy the town. If you have any queries, you can visit the website of the History of Skipton, which is all one word, where there's a link to contact me. And of course, you can buy the book online. So here goes, my very last look at Skipton's history. Last time I had explained how after World War I, the Skipton parliamentary constituency had evolved from always being held by the Liberals to a Conservative seat. But the death of Charles Rickards in December 1943 was the cue for Skipton's most dramatic election. After the outbreak of World War II in 1939, a nationwide electoral pact had been agreed. When a Member of Parliament died, his party nominated a candidate who would be returned unopposed without the expense and divisiveness of an election. However, when Rickards died towards the end of the war, that convention was breaking down. Even so, it was widely expected that there would be no contest in Skipton and the Conservative candidate would be duly returned unopposed. As the Craven Herald put it, it would seem obvious that the government should have behind it the full support and loyalty of the people of the country. So the Skipton Liberal and Labour parties met and voted to uphold the truce and not field candidates. However, four men, none of them with any connection to the town, and three of them who were serving in the military, announced that they would stand and oppose the Conservative choice. One of these four was Hugh Lawson, a 31-year-old lieutenant in the Royal Engineers, who was standing on behalf of the Common Wealth Party. This new party, J.B. Priestley was a founder member, had established a Skipton branch only 18 months before, and it believed in the widespread nationalisation of land and industry. Politically, it was to the left of the Labour Party. Lawson, who was from Leeds originally, had no qualms about proclaiming himself to be a socialist and declared he was fighting on the grounds of democracy and common ownership. Once Lawson made his candidacy 
and Commonwealth backing clear, the three other independents withdrew and declared their support for Lawson. The fact that the Conservative candidate, Harry Ridioff, who lived in Lothersdale, just outside Skipton, and was another well-connected man in the textile trade, was to be opposed, was viewed with dismay by many, and the Herald, upon whose board of directors the late MP Rickards had sat, could barely hide its scorn. Ridioff, it stated, was a local man with lifelong connections with the constituency, Few men could so satisfactorily represent the Craven area or be so well qualified to do so. And it added, With a life and death struggle at a critical stage, it is unthinkable that anything should be done to weaken the government's hand. In contrast, Lawson had no connection with Skipton. He was supported by a new and untried party and had made it clear that he would oppose Winston Churchill's government. He was a member of the Labour Party, but he was flouting that party's decision to observe the electoral truce. The newspaper concluded, The issues are clear. Electors have to choose between one who supports the government in its all-out effort to bring the war to a successful conclusion in as short a time as possible, and opponents of the government with all that involves. It should not be difficult for thoughtful and responsible electors to make their choices in circumstances such as these. It was to be a short, if gripping, campaign. Ricards had died at the beginning of December, and polling day was fixed for January the 7th, 1944. Just before nominations closed, a third candidate entered the fray, although it was to have a minimal impact on the campaign. The new man was Alderman Joe Toole, a former Lord Mayor of Manchester, who had been once the Labour MP for South Salford. Although he was nominally an independent, he voiced the Labour unhappiness with electoral truces. Posters and newspaper adverts signify how the left and right of politics viewed the by-election. For the Conservatives, it was all about backing Churchill in the war effort. Thus, their press advert was simple. Churchill wants Ridioff. Vote for Churchill's man. On the other hand, Lawson calmly explained that it was illogical in a war fought for democracy to accept one party's nomination to represent the people. He called for widespread ownership of land and business. The Herald may have been a little over the top, but had some truth in its assertion that it would be a verdict that will flash around the world. Lawson's call for land to be nationalised proved surprisingly popular to farmers. Instead of renting their farms from large landowners, with no control over rent increases, a Commonwealth government would nationalise all farmland and rent it out at minimal rents to the existing farming tenants. Lawson clearly needed Labour voters to ignore the loyalty message, and he sent a letter to the secretary of the Skipton branch of the Labour Party, which was to have later repercussions for him. He wrote, I send you this letter now, which you can publish and use against me if ever it should be necessary. 
and I undertake to you and through you to the organised Labour Party in the division that I will not contest the Skipton seat again if the local Labour Party and associated trade union branches either unanimously or by a large majority desire another candidate. The result was portrayed as a shock though looking back it seems to have foretold the landslide against Winston Churchill in the 1945 general election. Lawson polled 12,222 votes, just 201 more than Ridioff. Tull's 3,029 votes was pretty creditable given that he had no local connections, no local backing, no distinguishable programme and had conducted a limited campaign. He clearly picked up the Labour voters who were unhappy with the truce but wanted to show some degree of loyalty. Ridioff's post-election speeches put the blame on voters not turning out because they thought the government candidate would romp home easily. However, it was Lawson who triumphed and joined three other Commonwealth MPs in the Commons. Two of them had switched allegiance from their previous party. For Toole, the failed campaign brought a Labour Party disciplinary hearing after which he was thrown out of the movement and died a few months later. Ridioff faded back into relative obscurity and Lawson took his place in Parliament. The day after his election, he journeyed back to Scotland to rejoin his regiment and was due to speak to a meeting of the Edinburgh branch of the Commonwealth Party en route. However, he was served with a War Office ban from speaking. The War Office claimed there was a long-standing prohibition on military personnel speaking on political issues, which applied equally to MPs, unless they were actually speaking in Parliament or in their constituencies. The upshot was that Lawson requested to be released from the army, a request which was granted for as long as he remained an MP. Within 12 months, and with the end of the war near, it became obvious that a general election would not be far away. The Labour Party in Skipton announced that Percival Davies, who had tried and failed to win the seat on four previous occasions, would be their candidate again. They were calling in the pledge, made by Lawson, which earned him crucial votes only months earlier. Lawson went quietly. He announced at a meeting in Hellifield in March 1945 that he would stand by his pledge and he would not defend his seat. He was subsequently adopted as the candidate for the West Harrow constituency but was humiliated, finishing bottom of the poll and losing his deposit as the Commonwealth Party was effectively finished as a new force in British politics. Meanwhile, the Conservatives chose a new man who had a colourful war record to contrast with Lawson and indeed Davies. Their choice was Burnaby Drayson, a 31-year-old captain in the Royal Artillery. A stockbroker before the war, he had been captured during the Desert Campaign of 1941 and imprisoned in a prisoner-of-war camp in northern Italy. However, 
he had made a daring escape and made his way 500 miles south through enemy lines to link up with his old 8th Army colleagues. The Liberal candidate had an even more glamorous war story. He was Lieutenant Colonel Eric Townsend, the son of the headmaster of Brougham Street and a former Ermestead's pupil who had parachuted into Arnhem. A doctor in Kent before the war, he commanded the field hospital which treated the wounded paratroopers at Arnhem and was captured at the end of the fighting. He came to Skipton after being released from his prisoner of war camp by the Russian army. In contrast to these two, Labour's Percival Davis seemed an old, drab candidate. Yet he was widely expected to win in a Labour landslide. However, it was Drayson who topped the poll on an 81% turnout. He gathered 17,905 votes to Davies' 15,704, while Townsend had 9,546, a figure seen as a sign of a potential Liberal revival after the party had not fought the seat in both 1935 and 1944. Davies at least had the consolation prize of being appointed to the House of Lords as Lord Darwin. Meanwhile, Hugh Lawson, the Commonwealth MP for Skipton, rejoined the Labour Party, and in 1946 he applied to be the party's candidate for Skipton at the next election. Instead, he was humiliated by Skipton's Labour members and finished last of the five candidates seeking the nomination. From this time on, the constituency became an increasingly safe seat for the Conservatives, their majority topping 10,000 in 1955. The October 1959 election was notable for the appearance, for the first time, of a figure who was to become renowned on the local political scene, Claire Graham, later Claire Brooks. A young solicitor, then practising in Kirkby Moorside, she'd been born in Settle and educated at University College London, where she was a member of the university table tennis and women's cricket teams. She joined the Liberal Party and swiftly earned a reputation as one of its more formidable and fastest-talking voices. Drayson beat her comfortably. It was his fifth election victory. And Graham finished last, but still managed 10,563 votes, just a tiny bit behind Labour's Frank Hooley. Claire Graham did not contest the 1964 general election. She had recently married and was now Claire Brooks. But those who read the political rooms would have noticed that Drayson's majority was slipping. He was awkward in company and rarely visited the Skipton constituency, preferring to stay at London. He rarely spoke in the House of Commons and opponents began to taunt him with posters saying, Where's Burnaby? And Burnaby who? By the second general election of 1966, Drayson's 10,000 plus majority had slipped below 5,000. It rose again in the 1970 election, 
But by now, Drayson had won eight elections, and Skipton was getting a little bored with him. He was to face a tougher challenge for the ninth time he faced the electorate in February 1974. Claire Brooks was back on the scene, and Drayson's record was under severe scrutiny. Although his personal vote was not down significantly, the Labour candidate Terry Wheater leaked votes to Brooks. Part of the problem was the fact that Labour had again chosen an outsider, a training manager from Northampton, while Settleborn Brooks was now a Skipton Bay solicitor. And it was dawning on some Labour voters that if they selected Brooks, the Conservative stranglehold on Skipton could be broken. Brooks cut Drayson's majority to 2,000. Claire Brooks was a charismatic figure who had become a media favourite with her unusually fast speech and highly combative debating techniques, which left it difficult for an opponent or an interviewer to get a word in edgeways. The famous inquisitorial political broadcaster Sir Robin Day was one who found her impossible to silence. Confronted by her frequent appearances on regional and occasionally national television, Burnaby Drayson appeared yesterday's man. Despite his nine election wins, he had never been promoted to a junior ministerial position, either in government or opposition. This was not due to being a maverick, as he loyally towed the party line and rarely, if ever, deviated from the official Conservative line. After the February 1974 election scare, a letter signed by 30 members of the Skipton Conservative Association complained that Drayson had turned a safe seat into a marginal and called on the association to select a new candidate for the next election. A special meeting was called by the Skipton Conservatives and a vote of confidence was passed in Drayson as the candidate for the next election. He was still only 61 years old. But the Conservatives were inviting tactical voting from Labour supporters and lukewarm Tories who fancied a change of face. Labour had emerged in the February 1974 general election as the largest party, but without an overall majority. And so, in October 1974, a new general election was called and battle was joined for the Skipton marginal seat. The Liberals had high hopes of taking the seat, but two factors may have contributed towards the ultimate disappointment for Claire Brooks. The Liberal vote had nationally collapsed and Labour finally put up a local candidate, a Grassington GP called Chris Burks. This ended their practice of selecting a party man with no previous connection to the constituency but parachuted in. Although Drayson's vote was down significantly, Brooks had only 47 more votes. Burks increased the number of Labour votes considerably, leaving the Conservative majority at just 590. It was Drayson's 10th election victory, 
but he had seen his majority reduced from nearly 9,000 to less than 600 in just four years. This time, there were no public calls for him to step down. Instead, just six weeks after the election, the Skipton Conservative Association put out a short, bland statement announcing that Burnaby Drayson would not be standing at the next election. It was never made clear if he jumped or was pushed, and he was still only 61. He died in 1982, when his obituary in the Craven Herald made broad hints at his failings. It said, He came in for criticism for the fact that he made so few speeches in the House. He even enjoyed, in a strange way, his annual visit to the pubs and clubs of the area, though this was where he perhaps appeared ill at ease, for he found small talk, chatter and gossip did not come easily to him. His replacement was quickly chosen. John Watson, a lead solicitor and member of the family firm owning board game makers Waddington's. Almost immediately, Watson's speeches, meetings and movements were reported on a regular basis, while Drayson more or less disappeared, even though he was still the MP. But Drayson went out with a bit of a bang. He made a highly controversial intervention in February 1976. Turning completely against his image, he made a strongly pro-abortion speech in the House of Commons, in which he said he looked forward to seeing abortion apparatus in the first aid centres of all comprehensive schools. There was an uproar back in Skipton, and the Conservative Association in the town disassociated itself from his comments and put out an official statement saying, We believe that we speak for the local members and we know that we speak for John Watson when we state that we do not share these views. No more was heard from Burnaby Drayson. The election of May 1979 saw the collapse of the Labour vote as Margaret Thatcher swept to power. Although Claire Brooks increased the number of people who voted for her, the Conservatives increased theirs by a lot more. From now on, the days of a marginal Skipton constituency were over. For the 1983 election, boundary changes saw the Skipton and Ripon constituencies merge, with John Watson comfortably beating Ripon MP Keith Hampson in a vote by party members to select who would be the candidate at the election. The effect of these changes, which included the loss of Barnoldswick and Earby, by the way, had turned Skipton from a reasonably secure Conservative seat to a rock-solid one. Watson's majority was in excess of 15,000 votes. Watson was a populous MP, but as a former heir to Edward Heath, he was mistrusted by the Thatcherite wing of the Conservative Party. He found himself increasingly frozen out of favour and decided that he would not stand again at the next election, which came in June 1987. The Tories' next choice 
was David Curry, originally from Ripon and already a member of the European Parliament. Curry was to win the seat five times and rise to be a minister in the John Major government. He also led Ken Clark's unsuccessful bids to become the Conservative Party leader. An astute politician, who was also recognised as an assiduous constituency worker, Curry occasionally found himself at odds with some of his constituency members, as he was an avowed supporter of the European Union and committed to British membership. Curry opted for retirement, and in 2010, Julian Smith became Skipton's MP, an honour he retains. Smith was the Conservative Chief Whip under Theresa May, but when she was succeeded by Boris Johnson as the Prime Minister, Smith's days on the front bench were numbered. Johnson moved him to be Secretary of State for Northern Ireland, but 204 days later he was sacked and removed to the back benches in a reshuffle. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is that. I thank you for listening. Goodbye.